This is like one of those like Twitter porn and like cartoon things where they've like squeezed two improbably large people into small seats because they gotta get off on that. I don't mind the fact that you told, you've just told, you've just said that I'm improbably large. No, like no, okay, no, no. Fair. <laughs> I can't walk it anyway. back. It's fine. No. Welcome to episode 10 of The Variety Show. I've been practicing it, I know it, how to say it now. Well done. It is episode 10. It's a special it episode. We've been double digits. Yep. And I've got you, Matthew, I've got you a little surprise, a little present. Oh, okay. Do you like to know what it is? Uh, well, I feel like I have no choice. It's a very, very jet-lagged and sleepy co-host. <laughs> you're welcome. Great. So I have to do all the heavy lifting, is what you're saying? I think the listener is should go to look to you for the comedy today. Um, I mean, uh, I'm sure our listeners I'm, already do. I'm currently looking at a can of Relentless that is going to get me through this. Um, so we are, if you obviously as an avid listener, people will have been aware of that we were both um, otherwise engaged this week. Uh, hence, we have a very late episode from last week. Um, but you have been travelling to lots of places that don't like gay people and you are still alive, so I think that's positive. You have been... I only travelled to... Um, I travelled to one place that doesn't allow homosexuality, two places that are a bit murky, and one place that's fine with it. <laughs> like a spectrum. Yeah. Uh, I went to Brunei to visit my brother for a week, and then I went to Perth in Australia for a week. Um, and then I went back to Brunei via Singapore. I spent a lovely two hours in Singapore, where I spent most of the time queuing in the immigration queue to be let in, and then queuing in a different immigration queue to be let back out. It's currently, I landed at Heathrow at 7am this morning, it is currently half past two in the afternoon, but my body thinks that it is about half past eight in the evening, <laughs> and I have been up since midnight having got two or about an hour, hour or two of sleep on the plane because the person the airline put beside me on the plane was bigger than me. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> You're yeah, probably was, large for two of you in plane seats next to each other. Yeah, it was a 16-hour flight as well. That was fun. Jesus. And I was at the window, and I know that because I spent most of the time pressed up against the window. <laughs> um... Did either of you sort of acknowledge it, or did you spend no. 16 hours with neither no. of you communicating? Neither of us acknowledged on... it. We spent 16 hours with our thighs pressed against one another, and then every <sighs> so often, one of us would recoil. Hilariously, I, I, t- I told my mate that I was staying with, when I, I said, I, I've arrived home, I got back, thank you for having me. And he's like, how was the flight? And I was like, I was sat beside a guy who was even bigger than me, and... It was it it wasn't very comfortable, and he just was like, "But it sounds hot." <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> On the subject of that related, I have just a, a few words that's been requested that I bring up, um, and okay. those words are young Who Santa. Is Who are oh, for fuck's sake? Well, we're cutting now, this out. I, as an innocent poor innocent uh, friend of yours who would never do anything to make you feel awkward have no idea what this relates to so I'm just throwing it out there okay Matt 
<laughs> you know exactly yeah. what this is for because I sent you the same screenshot that I sent the person who's asked you to mention Young Santa. Did you? I don't remember this. So Young Santa, how do you feel about Young Santa? At least you got Young in there. I think it's a perfectly good way to open a conversation with you. Yeah, no, it's not. Did Young Santa find any old elves? Oh my God, Matt. That's horrific. <laughs> That's possibly your worst ever analogy. But but no, no, no. There were no old elves, young elves, elves of any ages found. That's a shame. It was very much, it was very much a wholesome going to see my family trip. Well, shall we, if you're going to let me be the guide, we shall move on into our episode. You say next. If you're in charge, Matt, you have next. to say next. The main point. So, this week's main chat, the topic is... Super um, it's Should... Super light. It is super light because you tell me what it is and I can answer it in one, in white, literally one word. But the topic is, um, should gay couples aim for heteronormative ideals of relationships? I'll let you go first. Basically, I try very hard to not tell anyone what to do in their relationship. So if you want to have a heteronormative relationship and roles, but your two guys or two girls or two non-binary or one guy and one non-binary or whatever, then go for it. But... I don't think you should be limited to that. Um, okay, well, stunned, my answer is... I, well, no, I just think a flat no. I don't think we should aim for it. And I think there's a difference there between saying should we aim for those kinds of things and between is it okay if we fall into them or model them. But the one thing that I always say, and this is like, so when I talk to straight friends about this, and it's one of the things that they, sometimes they get and sometimes they don't, but it's often one of the things that really kind of opens their eyes a little bit about it, that I explain to them, if a gay couple is in a committed monogamous relationship with just themselves i.e. you know the most traditionally kind of model of a heteronormative relationship Mm -hmm. that was still a choice like they probably still had to sit down and uh, sat down and have a conversation that this was how their relationship would look like whereas it's so much the default within heteronormative and it's like you can even even the people even the gay couples that i know that are still kind of very much reflecting the usual models as it were all the things that we've grown up with with what a relationship between two people looks like they you still kind of have to you still get to make the decision you still get to decide that that's the shape of your relationship and i think it's that thing the decision that you're going to do that that separates it even if superficially it just looks exactly the same from the outside yes there's also the the thing i've always enjoyed is that at some point if a new couple turns up in a friend group or a new couple is formed in a friend group at some point somebody will ask so are you open because that's just yeah that's just a legitimate question to ask in the gay community i think that that so which of the following three do you think that is because i don't remember ever really knowing any open couples back when let's say 10 years ago when i was first kind of out and out of uni and things like that so i don't know whether that is because a times have changed b i've gotten older so now the people i know are in those kinds of relationships um and they had to kind of figure their way through to those or like just that that I've moved into different circles and it was always the same. Can it be all three? Can I? Can uh, probably. I, can I just, yeah. Can I just sit? Continue sitting on my fence. Um, <laughs> well, no, because so, ten years, eleven years ago, I came to London, and yeah. the majority of my friends that I met in the first couple of years were in relationships. The majority of those relationships were open to some degree. Some were open uh, completely. 
that you know one or both could go off and sleep with somebody else some were open that if everyone was out and drunk in a in a nightclub and one half of the couple kissed somebody that wasn't a problem but then they weren't going home with them what i think has changed in the last 10 years though is people are much more open about it and people are much more open about yeah, maybe it that's what it's like. outside of the gay community <clears throat> the other thing that's turned up in the last 10 years well not turned up but has been much more open again in the last 10 years or well, certainly in the last maybe two or three years are throuples quads families mm. polyamory like i'm in a polyamorous relationship i did not know what that was until i was in one i'd never heard the word but i do i'm uh i'm aware of three maybe four throuples um amongst my extended group of friends in london uh mm. three two of which didn't work out one of which is still going after i think they've been together for about 18 months but the difference is that i am 100 percent certain that 10 years ago 20 years ago there were throuples just no one knew that barry and jimmy's yeah. friend kevin was also their boyfriend yeah. i think like twitter and tumblr probably have a lot of responsibility for that because in a good way in that like there's just people talk about it so there's dialogue and also can be able to talk about it anonymously so you've got to see it in enough places that you start to understand the dynamics and just see it like it's one person telling you that something exists is probably never enough. You have to you have to see it in enough places that it can start to feel commonplace or even achievable. So, and it's kind of achieved that, I suppose. And, and most of the kind of the discourse about alternative kind of sexual arrangements and, and relationship arrangements that I've ever encountered have either been through. I mean, some of it is through people you know and things like that. But the actual conversations about it and people kind of giving frank information or frank perspectives on it actually has been through the internet, through online and things like that. Yeah. Um, yes, I mean, the internet's a great tool for good and evil. But rewinding it back to, like, should we aim for heteronormative ideals? I don't see any, I don't see any issue with the arrangements that that implies, but I think aiming for it because it's that is not the way forward. I don't think that's good. I think the, the greatest thing about being queer and being part of the queer community is having the freedom to decide the exact format of your relationship, the exact shape of the relationships that you have, even if you then, you know come up with something that's quite you know um traditional as it were like that's yeah. that to me that is hands down the best thing about it and it's the one th the one thing really that i've ever been able to get through to like my siblings about that you know that that's a, a positive thing and to make them understand that sort of thing about why that's a great for us and often and usually i'm explaining it to them why their advice is off base because i'm like yeah but it's not like that for us and etc but you know it's 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 the most beautiful thing about it to me. Just to take it to a, a different, slightly different tangent. When we, we as the community, I don't think I did any actual fighting. Mm -hmm. When we fought and achieved marriage equality and civil partnerships, there was lots of chat about these two people have been together for 30 years and they've been in a committed relationship for 30 years and the law won't recognise them. Mm. So why, you know, let's, let's make them equal and and do that and that's great and lots of my friends have got married and that's brilliant and lots of my friends who are in some form of open relationship are married and mm. legally that's fine like it doesn't make a difference however if we ever get to the point where three people can get married to each other or somebody mm. can marry two different people 
that's only going to happen in the queer community as in that the queer community will push for that yes but i think that's always i mean always going to be the case that it's always going to be the queer community that pushes for the for those even though there will then always be people within the the heterosexual community who take it up um but i think that that's going to be you know the old adage of oh what's next you know yeah, and like, I agree. I think polyamory is the next step. I think, I think, I think it is the next step. But, be... but I also think that it's sort of like we, you know, we 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 push the door open and let you get married. So you know, two yeah. women can now get married, oh, I, and yeah, now yeah. you want three women to be able to get married. I know. Yeah. So what's next? I think this is where it's complicated. I think it's it's complicated because it, it verges into that place in which the kind of push for gay marriage is respectability politics uh, and there are you know some people who kind of rail against the idea not rail against the idea of gay marriage but seem to very much that like equate it to I don't know how best to articulate this but equate the idea that we would we, we push that that's what we wanted so much with just wanting to pretend that we were straight with what you know we don't need gay marriage we don't need all those things and I I think it's complicated personally I, I think it's a great thing that we have it but I understand where that comes from because it does lead you into this this kind of strange area afterwards which is like well we have achieved we've achieved equality in that sense that we can get married to one other person and that we now are falling in line with the traditions that have gone before us and i do think so much about why we want marriage rather than just the legal protection is because of that tradition because we have that social need to want to be part of not just the current community but the history of everything that's gone before us and i think that's important i think that's great but that leveled accusation of it's destroying the idea of what marriage is becomes complex if we then start pushing for these sorts of things except that i am hugely in favor of those things i'm hugely in favor of that we should have some form of like legal system that for people who are in relationships with multiple partners and all those sorts of things um but i don't have an answer in that space because it does feel like it's hard to escape the ingrained feeling in your head. Is this maybe where we get a different sort of equality in that heterosexual marriage is between a man and a woman, but queer marriage can be whatever you want. But queer marriage is actually a civil partnership, but it actually has all of the same legal effects. I mean, when civil partnerships came out, I was invited to a hell of a lot of weddings where yeah. people yeah, referred yeah. to you know, really where, where every yeah. every speech started on behalf of my husband and I. Nobody ever said on behalf of yeah. my civil partner. Yeah. You know. So I mean I do think the legal protection there would definitely be the, the place forward. And maybe I don't know, but the question is of course whether people who are engaged in I'm trying to find good terminology that doesn't sound so much more negative than I mean it, but so you know, for best for want of a better words, you know, alternative relationship arrangements that are not just you know they're not just a heteronormative mirror yeah do they also want to be part of that institution in that same way legal protection is a separate thing that's different wanting to have that recognized and all that is fine but you see what i'm saying yes um and i mean like i have looked into this because you know i would like to get married someday but if I'm going to get married to someone who has multiple partners, or if I'm going to marry multiple partners myself, then the word marry is literally just a word. <clears throat> because I can't marry multiple partners. So I could marry one of them and then acknowledge the other one. But if I was in a car accident, then the one I was married to would be legally the one that would make all yeah. the decisions. And the other person who I would hope my legally partnered husband would like enough to want to, you know, join in, 
making yeah. the decisions, would have no legal, like, wouldn't be allowed into the room. And we'd be back to mm. where we were in the 80s and 90s with mm. couples who'd been together for decades not being allowed to make a decision because their parents were the ones mm. that were the official next of kin. Yeah, I think, I mean, I don't, we've, we've moved on to territory, which I think I'm not, I'm not, quite, not, not qualified, but definitely very... Oh, I don't think we're either of us are qualified. Unsure. No, no, I, I guess a more better phrase is just very unsure. Mm. I don't have any sort of concrete feelings on this. I think it's not something I've ever ex- explored heavily but the rewinding back to the to the, the the key thing at the start is that irrespective i guess of where we stand with marriage and the legal protections on that i still think that the the ability for us to pick and choose how our relationships work and how many people they're with and in what format and etc that's the best thing about being queer that's the one thing i would never want to and you don't have to give it up if you're straight but i think you it takes a lot a lot more to get to the point where you realise you're allowed to make that choice as well. Um, shall we move on? Sure. Next. Next. Does your mother know? So we're back to Does Your Mother Know? Um, and as we're 10 episodes in, so we've pretty much established my mother knows absolutely nothing. Can I just... Can and I just... your mother knows, like, some of the things after the fact yeah. sounds like it. Can so I just... Can you just... Can you just... Can you just... Can I just um, combine Does Your Mother Know with Let's Just Steak On It because I've got a sandwich. Well, yes, but I have like literally my Does Your Mother Know is three words long, so this is also work. Okay. Go on. No, go for it. Okay. Does your mother know about the giant's ring? Uh, I mean, she knows what it is. She knows where it is. I don't think she knows what it's used for. I feel like neither do our listeners, so perhaps you <laughs> might need to illuminate them. Oh, the Giant's Ring is... I mean, unless I say that, you never know our listeners. They may. <laughs> Quite possibly. The Giant's Ring is a, I don't know, prehistoric Iron Age something burial ground just outside Belfast near my parents' house. It's sort of ish, like, um, like Northern Ireland's version of Stonehenge. And it's basically just a couple of big rocks in the middle of a large circular earth works and it's called the giant's ring i'm sure she knows what it is because you know it's near her house next yes that's absolutely all of the story that there is to tell <laughs> oh it's also a very popular pr- cruising ground and uh-huh. it's and it's and at what lengths have you discovered this oh i discovered it through how i discovered most cruising grounds in belfast which was through my mate andy t from school I was about to say, we have a policy of not naming people, and of all the times for us to actually name people, I feel like that's the wrong sentence well, to do it in. First of all, I haven't spoken to him in years. Second of all, didn't use his full name. It's, yeah, it's very, it's very popular. It's just outside the, it's just, it's just in South Belfast. It's got a decent sized car park, quite popular, um, both with the. <laughs> I'm not after a TripAdvisor review um, here. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a cruising ground. Sometimes there are people come to bash and you up. What may seem like an initially unrelated question, but how well did you do in your A levels? Oh, now I remember the story. I, <laughs> I got into my preferred course at my preferred university, so I feel I did quite well in my A levels. Did you? Despite spending a decent part. So you of, made good use of your study leave. A decent what? part of my study leave was spent at the Giants' ring. Yes, but I brought my books with me. Did you? Yeah. I bet that really helped the mood. Well, no, because... And I don't know if I'm saying that ironically No, because, like, I would go and park the car and um, sit in the car until I saw someone arrive that I liked the look of. 
and then I'd go for a walk and then I'd come back to the car and do some more studying until someone else turned up that I liked the look of. I genuinely was that's studying. Actually quite good time management. Yeah. And you passed, so it was fine. Yes, I did pass. I did pass, and the car never in got conclusion. broken into, and I was never arrested, and I only abandoned my friend once because Bashers turned up. Yeah, it's like a modern fairy tale. I know. Um, Happily ever after. But in conclusion, your mother doesn't know. No, I don't think she knows that's where I spent most of my study leave now. Does she know that it's like a cruising area oh, in that sort of very mummish way of just knowing that, you know, yeah, okay. 100% she does not know that. I did go back one year. Uh, I literally was driving home on the road that basically goes past it. And I was like, I wonder what it looks like now. Like, I wonder if it's <laughs> still busy because like Grinder and Grinder and Scruff and all have, you know, killed a lot of cruising areas. And I was like, it was day, it was, you know, it was during daylight hours, so it wasn't going to be hugely busy. But I drove up to it, and I was the only car. And I was like, all right, well, it's it's dead. That's a shame. Yeah. The Giant's Ring is no longer used. The Giant's Ring is no longer used, but, but apparently Boy Park still is. Because... Oh, well. Northern Irish people... <laughs> did, did Northern Irish people absolutely love naming their cruising grinds very bad puns Did was there someone somewhere who just went right here we need to figure out where all the cruising parks be get me a map okay that looks like <laughs> a good place and that looks like a good place so Boy Park is um, a square that has three boys with a U that have been taken out of the harbour right, right? Okay. so they've been plonked in this park by design or by chance Boy Park is you have to walk through it to get from one gay bar to the other gay bar and so <laughs> while you're doing that you might as well just hang around for five minutes. Obviously. And see if there's anything yeah. happening in the bushes. So in, con- in conclusion, no, your mother doesn't know. She definitely doesn't know. And it doesn't matter because it's closed. Cool. Next. Next. Puts on the tally. So uh, we're back for the final round of Tales of the City. And this time I have a lot of thoughts on this one. But um, I... I believe Pete has one single angry thought. Go on. They're so fucking annoying. They're all annoying. The flashback episode is the best episode for one reason and one reason. None of, the None of the other characters are in it. <laughs> is that it? Yes. Okay, so yes. here's my thoughts on Tales of the City. There are loads of things I really like about it. I genuinely, I think Mouse is great casting. I actually like him throughout it. Yeah. I really like when they get on a proper, like, kind of fast tone and they're all, like, out doing some mystery solving and stuff like that. And that's basically what Tales of the City should be. It should be a cosy mystery. That's what they should be doing. And that would actually sell the ridiculously shit twist at the end over, like, this character that has not even been deceptively nice no. we aren't meant to be like oh my god a reversal and they have no motivation I just didn't give a shit that was atrocious the actual finale of that not to mention the bloody awful bit with the drag queens marching which is meant to be like a fist pump moment but is actually just execrably awkward and these are all my negatives but there are bits I like about it I I like seeing the continuation of the characters their return and their dynamics when they get back the fact that they have addressed that damage has happened they mm-hmm. aren't just the first ones feel a bit like soaps where everything just ticks along and everyone gets along fine and I do actually appreciate that when they come back there is 20 years worth of damage to deal with I actually like that and the yeah. way they handled it with Shauna I think is really good Shauna's character I mean Elaine Page sells it but I like okay you disagree but I like her I understand look, her look I, I'm sure there's a good reason right I'm sure there's a great reason I'm sure they have spent a lot of time in Take the fucking cap. Right? <laughs> I have yeah. no problem with anything that Shauna says. I have no problem with how Elaine plays Just her. Just that cap 
just annoy. It is con- no matter where she is, she's wearing that fucking cap. It annoys me. Right. I think the rest of Shauna as a character is actually very good, yeah. and she, you know she's really good at being angry, and she's really good at like trying to be this hard harder shell. I don't want to fall in love, and trying to let you know this person in and that person yeah. in, and getting hurt. Oh, I genuinely like all of that. It's just the cap. <laughs> I just would like to see Shauna just you know come home at the end of the day, take the cap off, you know. <laughs> Fair enough, okay. So I have a couple of things I want to raise and discuss. Yeah. One of them is the millennial characters. And isn't this, so I watched... I do not understand Hold on, hold on, hold on. No, so, well, also, they are not the twins, as in they're not the twins from... The book. Or the shows that you previously watched, but they are the... They are the twins. Oh! Do you see what I mean? No, they're they're not... I never never equated them to being Dee Dee's children. But yet, they are the same nationality male female and roughly the same age but they are not the same twins which is super confusing I mean they're not because those twins are in their 40s now oh, but you know what I mean like yes. in terms of the, the timeline yeah. that's supposed to exist and also, but they're not so that's confusing that's confusing I mean the first time you, we meet Dee Dee Larianne says how are the kids and she says not talking to me yeah and that's the explanation for how they're not but they keep the twins figures in it which is somewhat confusing if you see what I mean I think that whoever came up with the twins hadn't watched Maybe. The third third series? (laughs) Sorry, I just kicked the chair. So, okay. So, when I first watched this, and I first watched this on a retreat with a bunch of people who uh, were a generation or two older than me, and they're the same people who were saying they feel like their generation has been omitted from this saga because they've had the jump forward. You've got the pre-AIDS generation. Yeah. And the after, but there isn't... They've omitted... Yeah, yeah. the 90s generation. So, but the interesting thing that came up when we watched it was that they just thought the first episode was way too... We only watched the first episode together, but discussed more about it afterwards, was just completely earnest. That all the characters in it were so millennial, were so right on, were so kind of Mm -hmm. this, like, very performative liberalism. And they were like, I hate it. That's not what it's supposed to be. Tells the city is kind of ironic and transgressive and all those kinds of things. And this isn't it. All the characters in it, they're so millennial. And it was all about this kind of thing. And I watched it, and I'm like, they're taking the piss. All the millennial characters are ridiculous. They are still characters, and I think they do quite a good job of kind of giving those characters not just caricatures, in most cases, apart from the twins. But, like, I'm like, no, they're taking... They're doing this with self-awareness. Like, all these millennial characters are ridiculous. They're taking the piss out of the quirks of these millennial characters. Mm -hmm. And it was a completely different point of view to what they had. They were like, God, they're taking them so seriously. I'm like, no, they're not. They're sending them up. Lovingly, but they're sending them up. I think... I think you want to think that because you're not a millennial. I think the twins are like the prime example and they are the characters and they accept but like I don't think uh, but like the I, lesbian videographer and the body politic being the, the I think that was like an exaggerated sense of like oh this kind of liberal arts kind of stuff. like I do think that was in there. I There was no send up of it. I the, didn't I didn't see like The Instagram stuff is a huge send up. Yes but Either that, but or it's succeed. written by people who fail to understand it. They succeed. And accidentally create the point. it. Like, yeah, I guess. In the space of what two episodes, they get like a hundred thousand followers. Well, that could happen. That's the yeah, that. it could happen, but chances are slim. I suppose. Uh, yeah, we've got yeah. twenty-five followers. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's completely earnest in how it's treating the millennial characters. I really don't. Okay. And I think that Fine. is definitely a distinction on where you are in your age and what you watch it <laughs> and what you think they're doing with that story. Do you and the, think, the best? Okay. Do you think? Do you think a lot of millennial millennial people are going to watch the Netflix Tales of the City 
and not watch any of the previous oh, ones. Oh yeah, yeah, there's a good chance, especially as yeah. Netflix have failed to bring the old ones to Netflix, yeah. which would have been the obvious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think there's a strong discontinuity between the old and the new. I don't, mm-hmm. They don't seem to be that tied together, um, despite the fact that it's all about coming back from the from the consequences of the previous series. But mm-hmm. um, but it has its moments where it's really on the nose, like really hits the nail on the head and is really good. Primarily the dinner scene where it puts the kind of the snarky older queens but and that, they that is them. that is the exact replay of an episode in series two where michael is the snarky is the is the young upstart yeah. and but he has to go to dinner with his doctor boyfriend's friends that's not a replay that's the added resonance of it being generations later and being back in the same position but you are now on the other side of the table and, so and that's yeah. the, it's one of the few things on in the whole show where they played it so you were on both kind of on both so you could see both sides of it and you understood the tensions and you were kind of but I didn't believe that Michael would be friends with any of those people those were all those it. were all successful I didn't socialite gays and that is not Michael no but I can 100% believe that he was friends with all of them back in the day before they got there and then you just know them through longevity especially if you live through the AIDS era and you stuck to the people who survived yeah that's that's probably fair but because actually that's a pretty common thing like you've just been friends with someone for so long that you fail to notice they're terrible people until yeah. you bring someone new into their circle and then you're like oh okay like that's I think that ring is kind of true hmm. and then uh, so and the other scene I want to discuss, because again, this was one that came up as a difference of perspective in discussion with the same the same friend, and it's the scene in which Jake Greenleaf uh, first goes. So he's been talking to the guy on Grinder, and he goes around, and yeah. the guy makes the move, and then he stops him, and he says, "I'm trans," and the guy just kind of goes, "Okay," and there's there's barely a moment of indecision. And he just kind of goes, "Okay, I'm done with that," yeah, and then they sleep together. Yeah. So uh, the perspective that my older friends had was that's a completely unbelievably written scene I don't believe that any gay man would just completely just kind of go okay with no concerns with no thinking about it and what was interesting about that is that they had this conversation with someone else um, someone that is I'm trying to talk around this because it's someone we know and I don't want to but they say who is of our generation and of our culture is, is, is kind of you know pretty open minded he's part of the London gay culture and when he told them that they went yeah I would I've done that I've been in that situation I've just gone okay I'm well but it yeah. and I think that's a huge generational difference that difference between looking at that and just thinking so, that that's unrealistic that all of this is just talk I think it's mm-hmm. only like that all of that kind of stuff is just talk and that therefore doing a drama about it where that happens because mm-hmm. I suppose in some way you're taking the drama out of that scene to make a almost political point in kind of going oh look we can just We're say okay this is not a problem now. we're okay yeah. with this but I also think that's important by itself anyway but also it is realistic it would have been equally realistic if someone kind of went oh I have questions or can say it or no they would have all been mm. equally realistic but it's not unrealistic to have someone just say okay I think that's yeah. that's that's but that's a huge jump from where we were where the simple fact that one of the characters is a trans character is a plot twist yes so that's that a, is that's dragged a, out yeah that's a big change that's a big jump for yeah. any show to take mm. in ethos one thing I really enjoyed was Anna and Jake talking to each other and Anna is saying you're giving him advice yeah. about transitioning and how people will treat him differently and how he will feel differently towards people that he previously loved in one way and he'll now feel differently you know and I thought that was very important that one trans character said that to another trans character yeah. and I mean it's very rare I can't think of any other program really that has 
two main trans characters. Pose, but aside from that. Okay. So I, I really enjoyed the um, them talking to each other about it, about about transitioning and, and her experience and his experience. And, you know, I just thought that was a, a nice touch. Mm. But going back to the, the grinder hookup will totally accept it. Um, the fact that the hookup guy is, you know, clearly in his 20s, um, probably it's more likely, mm. you know, like your friends were saying, it's more likely that a generational shift has happened. Yeah. I think, I, I think, I, I, just, I feel like I should clarify that a hesitation in, in the sense of taking a dramatic turn in that scene in which someone has a problem, has to come to terms with it, isn't intrinsically, like, I, I think if you just never confronted whether that's something that you are okay with sexually, mm-hmm. you would be, not within your rights is the wrong phrase, but I think it would be expected for someone to take... Just give me a to minute. Be, yeah, yeah, to be like, I just need to figure out how I feel about this. That yeah. is not the same thing as and someone who need... openly rejects yeah. it. I think there is there is a distinction between those things, and I think probably in our culture you've, you've put the thought in before the situation arrives maybe these days. Mm. You've figured out whether it's something you're comfortable with rather yeah. than being confronted with something that you're unused to yeah. in another moment. And having that conversation out loud is kind of complicated because what that's strongly implying is that, oh, you know, if, if, if someone's a trans person that we have to decide whether we can, like, and that's uncomfortable to say and uncomfortable to feel, I imagine, if you're a trans person. Mm. But I do think it's, it's the reality of just what people know and understand. But... I thought that was interesting and it was an interesting perspective to see the original audience for Tales of the City. These are the people who grew, who mm. grew up on these looking at this and going, this doesn't make sense. Yeah. And I'm looking at it going, actually, this is now just queer life. Yeah. Do you also think that it's just, it's a show about queer life. All of the writing staff are queer. I think a decent number of the production staff were queer as well. That we've been physically and metaphorically bashed in you know, TV and films for a hundred years. Let's just show just positives. Yeah, and it well, I mean, yeah, it tells us it's always been like queer utopia. That's, that's, yeah. that's what it is. It's meant to be like, hey, everyone's having a really good time, mm-hmm. even when it's a bit shit. It's not like that's one of the things I still like about Tales of the City, and that is what is that's the element probably overall that I do like about the Netflix show. I think it's wildly patchy. It's tones all over the place. I can't say what it is. The moments that it thinks are going to be kind of like everyone comes together over this moment, you find are actually really false mm. but it hits its it does hit its moments it mainly hits its moments with the old characters they've got the resonance because they've been there for years but and obviously as we've both said the flashback episode is apart from the fact that it plays absolute havoc with the established canon of animagical from the books um by far the best episode mm-hmm. it's the most subtle and it's the most interesting by a long shot and yeah. i would happily i mean they're not doing more tales of the sea as far as i'm aware it was a limited series but i would very much watch a series of the series no, it's a limited series. It's only okay. ever intended to be self-contained, and, okay. and it ends with Animagical's mm, death. Spoilers. It ends. It ends where the books end. You know, that's, okay. she's the end of the story. Though it does remove so the best, so the strongest, one of the strongest elements that they introduce in the books is that it's not actually when Animagical dies, but there is a story in which she's sick, and they we, they think she's going to die, mm-hmm. and at the same time, Michael's mother is sick. And their relationship develops so that he's able to take his boyfriend to meet. Um, uh, okay. And a lot of the plot lines about him and his boyfriend are lifted from that story. And their things with the three first threesomes and the, and the open yeah. relationship and things like that come from that. 
um, and there's a it builds to the dramatic point where he know they're both going in hospital at the same time and he has to decide who he's going to go to and he goes to Anna Madrigal and right. that's where he goes um, and it's about that's the kind of the real underlining of she's the mother and yeah. things like that which this I mean they definitely underlined that she's the mother figure but that mm. I always thought that was one of the better dramatic moments of it that he chooses the found family over the biological family in the end but yeah. and they, they sort of lost lost that one out of the story because they didn't adapt that but mm-hmm. out of ten though so you've had a, a five a three and a one I'm going to go original. back to a five back to a five okay it wasn't as unbelievably nuts as three it was less frustrating than two and I think they put more it was clear that like there was a lot of talent on screen there was a lot of very good acting I yeah thought, i think a yeah. lot is sold by some really great performances yeah laura linney has a lot of credit yeah. for but i think that and like there were bits of it that were genuinely like very funny like all of the stuff with brian and um his yeah. next door neighbor slash fuck buddy yeah I, I I could watch that woman all day yeah, just, she's just rip into him yeah. um, because I thought that was very funny but she's in like six scenes yeah. in 12 episodes um, so yeah I'm going to go back to a five okay. I am glad I watched it I will not watch it again <laughs> however if they did make another series I would it. probably watch that again yeah. it's one of those things where I always want it to be better so I will watch just it just in case yeah. Because it might have that one episode, like the flashback, and it's worth it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and I, I would 100% watch the flashback episode series. Yeah, and I think that would be like they managed to find, they didn't manage, they you know they find, I assume relatively easily, a a group of trans actors, yeah. who you know, which I think was were all very good because they kept Olympia Dukakis. I think that was important. Yeah. I actually have zero. I mean, it makes sense for the continuity of bringing back her as the actress. Yeah, I think if they'd cast it from you, they would have definitely cast the trans actress. Yeah, think, but, but, all, like, but they did a great job with the flashback. Like, I casting. saw, I saw, I saw it being. Uh, I listened to Armistad Morgan being yeah. interviewed, and he was asked specifically, like, you know, you have brought back a straight actress to play a bisexual DD. You've brought back. Olympia Dukakis, a cis, a straight cis woman to play a transgender woman. Why is that okay? And he was just like, well, first of all, Olympia Dukakis is animatical, yeah. and that's the end of that. Yeah, like she she is the older um, animatical, and the younger actress for the flashback makes you know compliments Olympia Dukakis yeah. as animatical and makes them different but the same you know in different ways so it's clear it's the same person it's just you know a different physical body so I actually have no problem with Lynn Budokakis being there even without the flashback I have no problem with her being there because that's her character it's sort of but yeah for a flashback episode or a flashback series then it should be a trans actor I think it would be I'd love to see that following you know in steps of pose and have a full trans cast yeah. And I think if anyone's going to do it, Netflix probably would be the people, and they've got poses and models to prove it can be successful. So yeah. I wouldn't actually be shocked if we don't see it happen. You know what that would probably mean, though. we got to do another review of it. No. More Mother Marker. Random Gay Facts. This week's theme is bury your gaze bury bury like you know in the ground okay 
We're going cheery. Okay, this would this would really like kill on my Twitter because it's a phrase. <laughs> Bury your gaze. Right, so this is no, this is digressing. Bury your gaze is named after a trope uh, in writing where, uh, well, a trope in TV and film where your gay character always gets killed. Oh yes. Well, so the two facts this week are just about unearthed skeletons of gays from history, basically. So the first one is recently in the news, which is the lovers of Medina. Uh, uh, do you remember these? Do you remember the lovers of Medina? Nope. Great, okay. It's even you who sent me the article, but you're obviously very uh, jet-lagged. So they were a pair of skeletons that were found buried hand-in-hand, basically. Um, And for years, people have kind of gone to great lengths to presume that they were male or female or to kind of find alternative explanations. The one key explanation never being there because people will go to any lengths to to, to, to avoid it is is saying that that no one, you know, would suggest that they were two, two male skeletons. But... Uh, recent research uh, from the University of Bologna has de- uh, basically confirmed that they were men. Okay. And they've done it based on uh, this thing that uh, a technique that uses protein found in a tooth enamel, apparently. Um, but it's confirmed that they were male. My favorite thing about it is like it doesn't surprise me uh, at all. But my favorite thing about it is is the comment section on any article that I got seen posted about mm-hmm. this because people just twisting themselves in circles to say, well, what if, what if, what if they were just soldiers who were like lying and it's like, they're literally hand in hand. Like it's the 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 pose that they're in is, is pretty intimate. It would be really hard to argue really that they're anything other than that and. And what's so hard to believe about it? Like, there's nothing. It's not that complicated. Um, okay, so hold on. when so are yeah, the skeletons the of Medina from? Are men. The uh, somewhere between the fourth and sixth century. Obviously, not 100 percent completely sure. Um, and they were found uh, in 2009 originally um, near Medina, um, in Italy. Um, but the the study about that the studies confirming that they were men was very very recent, like a couple of months ago. Um, okay. The news was over the summer. So that's nice. The lovers of Medina, and I also like that it's kind of it was like front page BBC News as well. So you know, lots of people talking about about these two men that were lovers but and my second is that in 2012 the grave of the first gay caveman was uncovered right um so uh this one it's not that i don't believe you um but go on (laughs) i mean what are you picturing (laughs) um how did they know he was gay yeah i'm i'm hoping they find a feather boa and a very a very tidy cave No, um, so it was a skeleton that was five, about 5,000 years old, and it was a male skeleton. Right. Um, but it was buried in a way that was normally reserved only for women okay. um, in that particular culture at the time. So it's found in, uh, found in Prague. It's found with its head pointing eastward um, and surrounded by domestic jugs, which was basically a ritual that you would only ever see in female graves. It's pretty niche. Um, so it's so specific that they argue, like, it can't be a mis- It's not coincidence. It's not a mistake. It's definitely kind of intended... The actual meaning of that is obviously up in the air. We don't have any confirmation, um, but the lead archaeologist who, on the, on the project kind of considers that it's either most likely it's either a man with a different sexual orientation, um, or a uh, someone who was whatever you would identify, but essentially transgender in in the context of that society. Yeah, they're not sure either way, but definitely something along those lines. But but there's other you know they've they've. There are other examples of what the things that are referred to as like third gender grave and things like that from that. So you know, it's not um, out of not, out of the ordinary is the wrong phrase, but it's certainly not so you know completely unconsiderable within that context. But um, but yeah, so okay, so to boil it down to so a nice tabloid headline: the first gay caveman. I was good. To, I was just going to take issue with your headline. What's more likely is yeah, first 
non-binary slash transgender slash intersex well burial farm not necessarily we gen we genuinely don't know that it it could no but it could be we don't know on what basis they would have it could yes yeah absolutely he wasn't and maybe he was <laughs> maybe in a hundred years people can look at that headline and go god people will go to any lengths to deny that trans people existed but ultimately we don't actually have the evidence there other than to suggest that in some ways they they almost certainly didn't fit either a sexual or gender norm right okay okay and that's my fact lovely next next yes he's coming to dinner so it's guess who's coming to dinner. So far, we have uh, Stephen Fry, Stephen Fry, uh, a Catholic, sixteenth century bishop, not a bishop. Can we give cardinal? Can we give him a name? He doesn't have a name. We have this discussion. Well, I can give him a name. Yeah, sure. But can we call okay. him Cardi B? So Cardi B. <laughs> sure, Cardi B. He's into sodomy. Uh, that even and rhymes. We have. It does even rhyme. And we also have... Uh, I can't pronounce her surname. Just pronounce her surname for me. Uh, Mel Gedridge. Thank you, who is not into sodomy as far as we're aware. No. So that's our uh, that's our current guest list. Uh, so I am going to bring along someone you might, might, might have heard of. And similar to me bringing along the Cardinal, um, I'm again not bringing along someone that I particularly admire in any way. I just particularly want to see how uh, this plays out at a dinner party and get a few answers uh, because it's from a story all the kind of stuff that's happened with this person uh, there's still not a clear picture of what the hell please be Michael Barrymore please uh, be Michael Barrymore please be Michael Barrymore (laughs) no but fuck that's so much better (laughs) Uh, okay well we've got we've got Paul Hollywood in a cupboard so we'll put like we'll put We'll put Michael Barrymore in as well. Special guest. He feels like the kind who would just show up anyway. You wouldn't need to invite him. Uh, No, I'm bringing uh, JT Leroy. Does that name mean anything to you? Not a thing. Okay, so the story of JT Leroy is uh, he, uh, is what I will say for now, he uh, was a writer uh, from I think the 90s or early 2000s um, that are, they were kind of like big indie gay hits and they were all very much about like street hustler from the streets uh, like abused kids that had grown up in like the in terrible conditions and stuff like that, and they're all very kind of seedy. But in huge inverted commas, of these like authentic novels and the, the character of J.T. Leroy, they're all allegedly semi-autobiographical or anything like that. They were a kind of and they were a big hit. And uh, one of them, I think, was made into a film, uh, which is the highest deceitful above all things, which was made uh, into a film by Dario um, Argento's daughter, Asia Argento, and the author kind of started to become quite high profile um, and then it was later revealed that in actual fact that JT Leroy was just uh, a woman who had made up the whole thing so she had invented this persona to match the novels that she was writing she claimed that it was all true um, but it got even more complex so she uh, had like hired someone to stand in for her as like a physical double who had like uh, who was also a woman so hired another woman to stand in uh, and play her at kind of public events and she has this kind of famous look with like these big dark sunglasses and stuff like that uh, and this hair that you, this kind of androgynous his hair and all these kinds of things and it, it was just like the biggest literary scandal of the time when it came out that she wasn't who she said she was and also because it kind of it involved like loads of other kind of celebrities as well like celebrities who had like publicly stated that they were friends with him with JT Leroy with him uh, and hadn't you know hadn't realised and it had all kind of fallen out of those kinds of things and it's still like been not quite 
unpicked exactly everything that happened there there's a bit more on record now there's a film that's coming out in the next couple of months or so about it but it's just kind of fascinating and i hopefully at our fictional dinner especially if we've got some people who are good at this kind of thing good at those kind of getting things out of people i suspect we might be able to find out a little bit of juicy gossip about it because i'd love to know more about it okay can i just stop you there do you remember approximately 20 minutes ago and I said I was really tired. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and then you just talked for a long time about something very complicated. Um, it's not that complicated. So, a woman wrote a book. Wrote a novel. Listen, hold on, let gay, her, let, it's a gay novel. Let me, yeah. let me... Let up. Let me... I'll let you do Let it, me yeah. explain what I heard and understood. A woman wrote a novel under a male pen name. She yep. got a female body double to pretend to be yep. that male the male person yeah. and yeah. then also celebrities said they were friends with this fictional male person and then it all yeah. came out that it was a woman and you want to know and more details pretty much yeah and okay. slightly additional me, so it wasn't just a male <laughs> that took me about 45 it seconds wasn't, it wasn't just a male pen name as well it was implied that they was that they were kind of autobiographical so this the male image of this figure was this kind of you know a hustler from the streets who'd grown up with all this kind of the same background as as these kind of characters um so there was that as well the idea that it wasn't just picking up a male name it was literally like this is my past like this claim to speak with authenticity which okay. is sort of like secret mm, secret diary of a cold girl <laughs> Yeah, except that she was literally writing a memoir, which is slightly different. This was someone who was still claiming to be fictionalizing them all, but kind of claiming that, you know, I am the same from the same kind of thing to give it yeah. legitimacy as it was. When really, but the problem with it is, is that so much of it is this very kind of, it was very hypersexualized and a lot of it is quite abusive and the claims of legitimacy from the from uh, of like the author as it were were what i think like permitted a lot of people to kind of allow themselves to be interested in it because they could argue that it's kind of you know this got this that like authentic literary feel to it and then as soon as it is revealed to just in fact be a woman writing it who has nothing of that then it kind of makes this kind of hollow it becomes what really becomes like a lot of it is quite sordid sexual fantasy or things like that so it's this uh, it's kind of interesting what it does to the text and as a person, just how you have the balls to kind of pull off that sort of thing, or why, I just find interesting, even though I find, as a general idea, she's a atrociously repulsive person, but but I'd like to know. And I've already got a really weird setup at this uh, this party, so why not find okay. out? Okay, just to be clear, <laughs> you're annoyed, or the populace at large I mean, are annoyed, were annoyed. The populace at large is annoyed, yeah. Because I am less because, annoyed, on, because I find it so dramatic. Listen. Because a yep. novelist, a fiction writer, made something up. Yep. And not only did they make something up, but they made a little bit more up based on who was pretending to write it. Yes. Okay, are you also annoyed that J.K. Rowling is not a wizard? No, okay, because J.K. Checking. Rowling has never, like, claimed to be a wizard. Okay. And I think... Well, what um, about when she claimed I mean, to be a guy called You're going to regret this... <laughs> Well, that's fine, because uh, that's literally just a pseudonym. There was, right, you're going to regret this if you're tired, because now you've just opened a can of worms. So, I don't actually have any problem with pseudonyms. And I know various me. people who write under pseudonyms. That's not an issue to hand me, fuck you. But it is a problem if what you do is you claim the identity of a minority, 
or in order or someone marginalized in order to somehow lend authenticity uh, to your work which is not really there so by pretending to be a gay man with the same background as the story she was writing it was faking this kind of reality to it that wasn't there and I don't think that's fair because that's literally kind of changing the text and it's also taking the spotlight away from actual marginalized writers who have that chance to to do that um, and you know okay. could genuinely so, speak just to on play, those kind of subjects just to play your your usual role you said that this happened about 20 years ago I can't remember the exact dates yeah it's we're talking late 90s 2000s I think the novels were out okay um, and then the review <coughs> was a bit later on than that so um, is there a chance that you are just snowflaking this from hindsight in 2019 <laughs> Well, no, because no. twenty years ago, no one cared if Scarlett Johansson played a Japanese woman or Eddie Redmayne played a no. transgender person. Yeah, I take your point. No, I take your point. I think this is the exception. For a start, I think personally, I I, I find the story of J.T. Roy more fascinating than I do. Kind of have problems with it, even though I acknowledge the issues with it. Whereas there are lots and lots of people in the gay writing community, in the gay reading community, that I know who genuinely are still you know furiously angry about it but actually no i don't this that isn't adding like a and today's culture filter on it when it came out there was an uproar about it for precisely the reason that people had bought into the autobiography of what she was saying and that was all revealed to be true uh, to be false sorry like that was the very that like everyone was really really pissed about it that's why it is such a big thing it's still a kind of name that people know now but we can find out more i'd like to know more okay so just to check the jovial uh, Lovely Mel Gedroyd and yes, um, happy go lucky buggering Cardi B and Stephen <laughs> Fry, who is jovially yeah. telling a story in the corner, and then we're gonna Stevie get, F, yeah, and then and then the fourth person to arrive is a woman that you're just gonna have a go at. Oh, no, no, I'm not gonna have a go at, I'm gonna get Stephen Fry to have a go at. Oh, good, because everyone loves conflict at a dinner party. Why don't we just bring well, some, yeah. some leading politicians? If everything gets too complicated, we'll just get Michael Barrymore at the cupboard. Yeah, but... Next? Yeah, next. In time! Okay, so we are back for another round of confession, which treated us gently last week. By the way, so we're probably um, really due for it this some, week. Come some on. live <laughs> feedback from Australia um, uh-huh. was uh, it, it was twofold. One was we should have got that game you play on the podcast to play while we were away on this like mini break. Okay, um, yeah. And what we should also do is not record it and release it to the world. So they thought they it, thought we were they thought we were very brave to to put this. Oh, I see. To to, to roll a <laughs> dice and then answer a question and then let anyone that, anyone that wanted to listen. That's because they can't see the ones we delete. Right, let's roll. <laughs> okay, relationships. Let me find the card. <laughs> Remember, we both still have a veto. Yes. <laughs> okay, I think this one's going to cost me fifty quid at therapy. How has your childhood made you difficult to be around? Oh, oh! I think this one's already cost me a couple of grand in therapy. Bloody, hell, that's quite a that's quite a deep question. Yeah. Um, also, not the relationship questions I was expecting. I was expecting, you know, what do you really hate about no, your boyfriend? No, I was expecting something. Well, it's made me very competitive because I grew up with two brothers. What's made me very difficult? To, I mean, I'm a lovely person. I'm very humble. 
Uh, you go first. I don't really know. I don't know. I'm struggling with it a little bit. I think. Um, I think two things. I think that like I grew up being so kind of um, shy and passive to all sorts of things that a lot of my adulthood is about being trying to like reassert control in places which don't always come out in the right ways. Okay, you could have just said you're a top, but anyway, that kind of not how I meant. I, yeah, I mean, you know, I am and not what I meant. <laughs> I don't mean it like that. No, I mean it the opposite. Of I course mean that not, kind yeah <laughs> that there's definitely that um and also like my childhood gave me an incredible capacity to compartmentalize things which is uh very helpful in many ways but also i imagine sometimes an absolute pain in the ass to maintain a close friendship or relationship with me if i just block certain things out or don't kind of address things in the most healthy way each time and I think a lot of that comes from there that wasn't a fun question I don't like that no it wasn't brilliant um <laughs> I, no it's a really good question it's just not what I want to be doing on tape <laughs> <laughs> um I mean I, I've genuinely spent a decent amount of time in therapy talking about the sort of collective um trauma of growing up in Northern Ireland during the Troubles or at the end of the Troubles mm. um and how that sort of scars the community and like it's when I was with my fr- the, the boyfriend that I came to London with was also from Northern Ireland and we both have a very dark sense of humour especially when it comes to death mm. so like when we were together if like a celebrity died we would instantly make jokes about them and then whenever I went uh, I started going out with my uh, my ex that I met you through I he did not enjoy whenever I made very very dark jokes about death um, so that was difficult but it's because you know death was something that was like on the news every day and was just a part of life yeah so we might as well make fun mm. of it Cheery. Not gonna lie, I've known you long enough to feel like there's lots of. That's like the tip of the iceberg. That's got to be one session at best. Uh, no, we genuinely we've spent maybe four or five sessions talking about you know mm. the fact that on a semi regular basis, as a small child, we were evacuated from somewhere or couldn't go somewhere because mm. roadblocks or whatever. Um, and yeah, uh, I have quite. It's still. 35 years old, still quite a crippling fear of helicopters due to the fact that we lived near the army, mm. the military hospital and Chinooks mm. regularly flew very low over our house uh, and they're very loud and I hated mm. them. So even now, if I mm. hear a helicopter, I must, I have to find out where it is in the sky and as soon as right. I can see it, mm. I know it's not going to fall on top of me. It's fine. Right. Um, and I'm actually a little bit angsty about talking about it just now. Um, so next, okay, definitely next yeah. on that cheery, cheery next. Such <laughs> that was the episode. <laughs> And that was episode 10. These numbers are so much easier to remember now. We're at 10 after last week's cock up, but yeah, 10 episode 10. Yeah, that was cheery. We were tired now, we're depressed. It's gone super great. I hope you're all having a great time at home. (laughs)
<laughs> listening to us. Well, I'm, I mean, it's three. It's now 3.30 in the afternoon. I'm going to bed. Okay, you do that. Um, and if you say it in that breathy tone to our listeners, maybe they will join you. I'm going to bed now. Um, See you all in two weeks. Or, or, or less or more, depending on the editing schedule. Fuck you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. If you have any feedback or suggestions, please leave us a message on our socials, which are thebarietyshow.com, Instagram, The Variety Show, and Twitter, at The Variety Show. Uh, our logo is by Tito Bravo, who can be found on Instagram at Bravo Artista. The music is by Purple Planet. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this podcast, please rate and review it. It really helps other people find the podcast. See you on the next episode. Well done for fucking up the last line. Well, it's almost like you can edit it. And then I went to Perth in Australia for a week, and I met half of our Australian listeners, one of, whom, one of whom very kindly put the podcast on while we were in the car, until I promptly told them to please please turn it off. Yeah, yeah, we don't want to listen to it. We barely wanted to listen to it the first time. No, Matt. <laughs>